Let's go ahead and get started. Week number two, episode number two of the 3 a.m. Coney. Still working on a tagline. Something about clutch Cincinnati. Something that's as clutch as those cheese conies are when you're hammered at 3 a.m. Deliciously Cincinnati. (laughs) You know, something like that. (laughs) Something like that. Um, I am drinking Rheingeist, Lodo, a low-cal tart peach ale. You have St. Pauli Girl. Yes. Michael Scott's sign from the dinner party. Not sponsored any of these, by the way. No, but available if you would like. If you would like. You want to send us some. We'll if happily you talk so about choose to. You'll be amazed at the salesman I am when it's free. There you go. All right. That's part <laughs> of your job now. Yes. I'm also wearing the Reds hat that existed on the Swiffer. We went one and three after that. So I figure let's put it on. No more Swiffer. Try a broom. Changes the luck. Put it on a broom, and they'll just sweep everyone from that point forward. Man, if they get swept, though, that's the thing, and that's what I wanted to start this podcast with, Matt. Yep. Was this one and three start, and it's just I want to make a real big point here, and I want to emphasize to Reds fans, and I'm going to look deep into the camera because I know baseball's back. I know you probably have a million things going on in your life right now. And it just feels so great that they're on TV and it's so happy-go-lucky. But I want to emphasize how important, which we're, this podcast will probably be released at the end of the game after the one and three start. So hopefully the panic I'm about to say isn't actually real. But if right. they are one and four. Completely turn it around, yeah. I, this is a big, big deal. This ownership group allowed the worst five-year period in the history of the Cincinnati Reds to happen so that they could save money because they knew they had Votto on the books. They knew that they couldn't build a team that they could afford that could win around Votto. So they traded, they sold, they saved, they developed, and this was their team that they decided to spend money on. This is what they put on the table. Right after that happened, a global pandemic happened meaning they're going to lose more money than they ever have. So if you want this organization, the Cincinnati Reds, to ever spend money again or to even be able to, they're going to need success and they're going to need to blow attendance out of the water next year. And that won't happen if this team stinks during this pandemic. And it's a 60-game season. 60 games to prove it. And we are (laughs) four through. This is not – you can't have a bad week in a 60-game season. You cannot go one in six because let me t- one in so it's 60 games. 60 times yep. three is 180, close to 160. I know the math's not perfect, it's like 2.7, but it's basically that times one and six by three. What is it? Three and 18. That three that and 18 Brian, start. That got Brian Price fired. And mm-hmm. I'm telling you, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, the Castellinis are on edge right now because Shogo Akiyama who you paid $7.5 million, who's 31 years old, was on the bench for no reason. you having Josh Van Meter take bases loaded at bats in the eighth when you could bring Akiyama off the bench, who's a better hitter, a calmer player with more experience. Yep. I mean, the decisions so far, Lorenzen on a second straight day, when you have Lucas Sims, who hasn't given up a run yet, throw him back out there. When Lorenzen got smacked around by that same team, 
Starting Bauer, Gray, and Castillo against the Tigers, not saving anybody for the Cubs. I mean, there have been some really bad decisions made. Yeah. A buddy of mine made a good point. He said, I've never had a manager that I second guess so often make me look right all the time. Like David Bell has really been on a cold streak as a manager. We lost 33 one run games last year. This really is a one and six start. Do not be surprised if we're hearing serious David Bell is canned rumors. This is how yeah. big of a deal this is for the Cincinnati Reds. It is. And I mean, I, th- people, everyone is complaining about Bell and it, it, for good reason. Some of these, some of these things that he's he's doing are just so outside of the realm of obvious that it's just what what you know the the players are going out there. Let them play. Don't make decisions that are going to be forcing them to to lose games. And I just just saw this stat today that the Reds are the first team in in Major League Baseball history to have their pitchers strike out 12 plus batters in each of the first four games of the season. And we lost three of them. That is that is Cincinnati sports right there. Well, and it's they scored enough runs eventually, but it's just you cannot lose this level of one run games. And how long losing that many one run games until we rightly blame somebody for it, right? It, it has to go somewhere. Why yeah. do you lose one-run games? It's the manager. And we can talk about saver metrics and everything all you want. But you have to win close games. Eventually, it's not a statistical anomaly anymore, right? Yeah. I, Eventually, it's not it, – it, there's a reason it's happening. I mean, Reds what? They, they were leading the league in one-run losses last year, and it was an absurd number like 40 games or something. I, I can't remember exactly. It was 33. It was 33. 33 games. Yeah. That is absurd. And that's <laughs> for the fans. We're looking at that and we're going, figure it out. Win well, half of these and we're in it. Half. Not even half. A third. Win 10 more. <laughs> win 10, 10 more. Than more. Seven games. Like, mm. listen, Rysel Iglesias, he should mm. not be closing. This is a 60-game season. He was unreliable all of – Araldis Chapman did not lose a game last year, did not lose the lead, and his team lost the game last year. How many times did it happened for Iglesias? Oh, 12 Chapman. times? That, that's, that you're in the wild card if, if you have yeah. a competent closer. You have to win these close games. You have to make key decisions. You have to stop with this lefty on lefty and, oh, we got to trust Lorenzen after he gave up a bomb the last day. Because if you lose this series against a good Cubs team, mm. if you're one and six, I'm sure the ownership group's going to look around and they should and say, all right, what has to change? Because I'm serious. If this season goes off the rails, Matt, I don't know if I'm being too panicked and some are going to say I am. And I hope I am. I hope like I look like an absolute idiot in three days. But if this yeah. goes off the rails this season in this pandemic, with the financial situation the entire league will be put under, the type of expectation this team had, the fact that a lot of the guys they signed can opt out after this year, we could be staring at another five, ten years of Reds mediocrity slash them being horrible. This is it. This is the season that opens the World Series window. It has to happen. This is it. And with with the expanded playoffs, they can have a not – amazing season and still get in for sure and I think like 
you know, and I, that's what's calming me down, I guess, even though I didn't like that system. But I, that's not what we wanted. This team has the ability and the potential to be one of the best teams in Major League Baseball. Watch the three starters we just threw again. Every yeah. team in the league would look at our three starters and go, we would take that. Seriously, the Yankees would take it. Now, the and Yankees – They played the lights out. It was amazing. They would take it, though. We've yeah. got – we've got. I, you can make an argument, top three starting rotation in Major League Baseball. And when you have that happen, you've got Joey Votto starting the first four games batting over 400. You sign the two highest free agents in team history to your lineup, and you drop two of three to the Tigers? Fall down 7-0 to the Cubs to start the year? I mean, and you don't have Akiyama out there? The, the He is in the lineup today. Leading off. You know why? Leading because off I, in the lineup today. I guarantee a Castellini went down to that, that clubhouse and said, you want to <laughs> keep your job, you put Shogo Akiyama, the guy we paying, is $7.5 million. <laughs> I don't pay a guy $7.5 million for him to get comfortable. He's 31. He's plenty comfortable. There's no yeah. fans in the stands. What do you mean he's not comfortable, David? He's comfortable. Yeah. Put him out there. Like, this stuff is infuriating. And it's more infuriating because we waited so long for it. If this happened in April, I'd be like, oh, Cincinnati sports, I get it, whatever. Long season, 162. Maybe they win 85. They're better with Hunter Green in the rotation next year. But this is like now. And it's urgent. Yeah. And I'm, I'm pissed because, come on, we put everything together. Everything is together. And all you need is that last bit, some smart managing, and, you know, guys that you're supposed to rely on to produce. Yeah. I mean, there was that everything is urgent with a 60-game season. There was a little bit of panic coming in when we did not sweep the Tigers. And it's kind of a, okay, are we just, well, maybe we'll, you know, Two and one. We're just, right? we're just waiting until, you know, the, the Cubs will play a better team. They're figuring it out. You know, everyone, you know, we have this whole, the whole summer. It might take a few games. This, this is starting into panic time. The rest of this week will, will probably determine how the rest of the season will go unless they completely turn it around. And they cannot go down 7-0 to the Cubs <laughs> and have have this fan base not freak out. Well, you know, optimism. And I saw a tweet today, the evil Joey Votto account, it tweeted out, hey, Sonny Gray is saying, we're two games back, a bunch of games to play. Not worried about it. And, yeah. like, I want to shift to the optimism because, I, listen, I wanted to come on here and yell and scream, Matt, because – I want to emphasize to Cincinnati sports fans how massive this is. Like, this is, this is one of those moments you point to when a franchise changes, right? Point to the Bengals. Marvin Lewis's career, Carson Palmer's career, changed in that 2010 season. Because you remember the expectations they had in 2010. Terrell Owens was coming into the fold. You had a quarter, a quarter of all ESPN pundits predicting the Bengals were going to make the Super Bowl because mm. they were coming off that 10-6 and six season. Yeah. And what they do, they tanked it. They absolutely tanked that year. And I think it really sucked the momentum out of the Marvin Lewis era. Now, thank God for Andy Dalton and A.J. Green, and they figured things out the next five years. But it's one of those seasons. It's like 2015. I think 2015 is a better example with the Bengals. Yeah. 
If they win that playoff game, they're still making oh. the playoffs today. I, it, that's just how it is. We can't it's start like, going into that. That could be an entire episode talking about that game, talking about just the last two minutes of that fucking game. But if <laughs> this is that moment, this whole year is like that 2015 playoff game for the Reds because yeah. this ownership group, if this team goes out there and nearly wins the World Series, they're going to start turning profit once attendance opens up next year, you know, vaccine willing. And that will push this ownership group to say, let's take over the city. Let's be like the 1970s Reds. Let's yeah. go out there and dominate the decade. Let's spend the money. Forget about profits. But if they do all of this, set all this up, plan for five years, save money, make trades, push the chips to the center of the table, and then fall flat on their face and are out of it before we're even 20 games into this thing, it's going to change the thinking of everybody in that front office, and they will go back to the same mealy-mouthed reds we saw all through the 90s, all through the 2000s, and all through the 2010s. This is it. Yeah, and this you want to be a real baseball franchise, it has to happen, and it has to happen now. Yeah, and this isn't just misplaced optimism for Cincinnati Cincinnati no. sports fan like we they they spent money they made those they had those signings the rotation is top in in major league baseball like if they can't <laughs> pull this off if they can't even keep it close and and the, the these past three games hopefully when the, you know this podcast is coming out tomorrow we're you know we're talking next week about how oh they completely turned it around yeah. and yeah but this, this is do or die time. I want to listen to this and go, man, that Lucas guy way overreacted. To the so, take a he so was pissed off. Way over, like he's way too. It's baseball, right? <laughs> and I know it's baseball, and I know that that line drive falls last night. I got a real different <clears throat> attitude about tonight, right? God, you know? that was close. It was so close. There, there's just like, there's a couple moments that if they happen over the three losses, that this team's three and one. I understand yeah. that. But it is so – these games are important. I mean, these are the closest things. These next two games are the closest things to playoff games the Reds have experienced since 2013, period. Mm. There hasn't been one with this type of urgency st and stakes on the line. Because yeah. anybody that looked at the Reds' schedule, looked at their opening stretch of games and said, okay, they need to get a little bit of a head start because the back end is brutal, Right. You needed to be in a position where going 500, you're still making the playoffs. And yeah. that is not what they've done. Now they have put themselves in a position where they might have to go above 500. And if they go one and six, sell it. Sell all your stock. It's over. It's done. They yeah, might sneak is. into the playoffs, but it's not a team that's going to win the World Series. Right? Yeah, that is, that is the 60-game equivalent of that franchise record, terrible 3-18 and 18 start. Yes. Yes, mm. but let's be optimistic, okay? If I were to ask you, Matt, what's the one thing you've seen? What stat have you read? What, what thing? Because we don't want people to leave our podcast sad, <laughs> right? We want you to leave with, with – That's why we're going to start with the negative and then we want you to leave with some push ourselves to be more cautiously optimistic. And hopefully you're listening to this after a Reds win on a Tuesday night and you're just like, yeah, well, where's the optimism, fellas? We won the game. You know, and here's – I just want to hear your optimism from this team so far. 
Um, let's see, optimism about this Reds team. I would say for sure opening day. I mean, you had we had all of that hope going into the season. Um, opening day, I mean, we couldn't, we couldn't be there, but it still felt like opening day with no sports all year. And you're ready and you're in you know, the Reds are going out there and yeah, they, they took care of business. They looked good on, on all sides. And so that was, if you are not looking at these three losses and some of the boneheaded, boneheaded things that David Bell has done. You're looking at just opening day, and you're going, can I copy and paste that through the rest of the week? And if we are starting off at 6-1, and even 5-2, and and that, like, we, you are not this angry coming into this podcast. Like, we are still up on a high thinking the Reds are really going to have to screw up to not make the playoffs. And instead, we're in this panic mode. And if we can get back – if we can if we can call these these last three games like David Bell's figuring it out and he's gonna start <laughs> he goes, All right, fine, I'll start making good decisions. Yeah. And he does that and he just lets the players play because they have they have they have great pitching, great hitting. Don't have to talk about the bullpen because we're being optimistic. But if we can turn this around and we can go over five hundred the next week then I think you will be a lot happier in the next podcast and we can just keep sailing along. And you know what the, I think the optimism is, I think the pressure is, I just hope the optimistic take is the pressure's now off because now you're one in three. Cause I really think if I'm this mad and the ownership group is as mad as I know they are, that locker room felt this pressure. And I think that the, the integral decision was that Tigers game. If they would have been able to hold on 3-1, the second game of the series, they win, let's say they win that, they hold on, you know, they pull it through. Then I think the pressure's off because you're 2-0. and yep. Like, no matter really what goes wrong, you have your two wins, you're, you're off and running. I think there's a real chance that they make one of the two comebacks in the next two games. Let's say all the same things happen. They make one of the two comebacks in the next two games. And then you're off and rolling, you're three and one. So that's how close it can change. But also yeah. I think the one and three start might just – because if we would have held on one here, I think David Bell would have kept this weird strategy of acting like he's got 162 to play with when he only has 60. And I think that the one and three start, maybe it shakes everybody. Yeah. Everybody's like, okay, guys, we got to – Got to we we have to win games. We have mm-hmm. to put our best lineup out there. I'm sorry, Josh Van Meter. We we can't watch you develop every day in key situations. Now, Josh in the lineup today. I like Van Meter, but not when Akiyama's on the bench. Hmm. Not when not when Akiyama's on the bench. Yeah. Um. It. it I I just don't want to see guys working on their swings in this season at all. It's like go hard or go home. And I think that maybe this one and three start triggers that. And I mean, I think, I'll, I'll let I'll let Tyler Stevenson work on his swing as much as he wants. Yeah, like guy gets hot, put him in. That's the time. But there's no like honestly. And what I don't understand is we're not letting guys figure it out, and we're putting all these young guys in, but we're letting Suarez go out there and look, give him a day off. Right? Slow start for him. 
slow start. I don't know who else can play third, but like give Suarez, like if you're going to give guys a breather because you care about it, just there was no consistent strategy. It just felt like it felt like he was still treating them like exhibition games. Yeah. And now you're a one and three hole, and they need to and win I, at least two of the next three to dig themselves out. And hopefully, the, this hole, this urgency, this this earthquake of we have to get this shit done is is going to you know bring bring everything back with with Suarez with David Bell with I mean it's like oh okay we were almost there but one and three is going to be enough to push us to actually trying to take the central it doesn't seem like they yeah it, it seems like they, they they are for sure still out there trying to figure it out but well, I think Joey Votto batting 425 or whatever he's batting right now. I mean, Joey oh. came out. I, Joey's like, listen, this is my last year, fellas, of being great. I'm 37. And he was expecting this great team around him. And he's in the same he's boat. He's got 10 he's more years. In. He's got at least 10 more years. He's good. <laughs> but he's in the same boat. Mm-hmm. He's the only guy driving in runs. And then it always seems to come down to him. And he doesn't come through when it's se- – like, he's got a great statistical profile in the clutch but not in the fans' minds because he's been the only guy the Reds have been relying on for so long. Yeah. When he had, what, like a, a two-RBI single or something the previous inning. Exactly. It's like <laughs> – Exactly. I, I, was, um, I was hoping he would do a home run every game and just hit 60. Just, just won a game. Just won a game. That's not so, that difficult, right? Joey Votto and Shogo Akiyama have produced half the Reds' offense, and Shogo hasn't even played half the time. <laughs> That's half the Reds' offense, and he hasn't even played half the time. Then another third of the Reds' offense has COVID-19, which yeah. we figured that something like that was going to happen. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, it was Moustakis. Um, but, I, you know, I expect him to be back, and I expect things to be better and positivity, happy, because the, the Burrow family's happy this week. Yeah, I'm wondering are. if they're going to get this $24 million – in a direct deposit like how does that check come through is that a i don't check? know you, I, you I, cash that it's got to be a giant a bank check. account it's got they got to come in a van with confetti and balloons and give you a no. giant check just, i would say like upgrade the, upgrade the drapes and the couch in his parents house immediately just be like you don't you have money you don't you can't you don't have to do this anymore <laughs> yeah but man in athens ohio the burrow family they had money this guy was a mm-hmm. college football defensive coordinator like yeah, I think they like those drapes. They do, know. and that's that was so Ohio. That's so Ohio. Looking at that, I'm like, <laughs> oh, I know. It was pit- quintessential, quintessential. But like, is Burrow? Should they Venmo the money? Like, yeah, just Venmo me that 24 mil. He <laughs> just hearts it. Like Mike, Mike Brown. I like this payment. <laughs> I hope Mike Brown's happy signing that check. That's one he mm. should be happy signing. Yeah. Um, it finally got it signed though. He's there. There was really no question about it. There, um, there was no question for us or none, any Bengals none. fans. I mean, there, there was questions outside with, with some media asking, you know, is he going to pull an Eli Manning or all of this? Whatever happened with Carson Palmer trying to become relevant again? But, no, that's it, – it was never, never in doubt. No, never in doubt. And, you know, some people are trying to spin this that Joey grew up a Bengals fan. Don't believe that. I mean, he. I, I think Saints or something, didn't we? Joey grew up anti-Steelers, mm. so he certainly rooted. All the good people do. 
He's certainly rooted for the Bengals. He's certainly rooted for the Browns. Anybody that was trying to beat the Steelers, and he really liked college football more. So I think you could maybe classify him as a Bengals fan when he was a kid. And you know what? Burroughs' team, that's what they've done. They said he was a Bengals fan, you know, and there it is. But honestly, he wasn't a huge Bengals fan. T. Higgins, you, you though. Just, you, you could say Ohio kid. And yeah, he was an Ohio still, kid. It's the same thing. It's, for sure. And he didn't dislike the Bengals. He yeah. was an Ohio kid, right? Went to Ohio State, Ohio University, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. T. Higgins, though, was a Bengals fan, and he signed his contract as well. And this is – like, he loves he, – he started liking the Bengals because of A.J. Green. That's crazy. And, and now he's going to be out there with him. Exactly. I, I think that – the barometer's gone down this week, though. Yeah. As we update the barometer. <laughs> Did you practice this? <laughs> like, we update this. It, the contract sign, which I don't think that changes, because this, this was going to get signed with the CBA. It's not really a question at this point. You know, the kid's going to sign. If he didn't, there weren't any stories before. There weren't going to be after. It was just the details, the paperwork, and when you get the money, and what's guaranteed, yep. and when, and how and all that minutia, but it was going to be in the same bracket. We all knew that to me, it was going to get done. Yeah. Um, but, oh boy, what was I just talking about? I'm going to cut this too. <laughs> the barometer. The barometer. Oh yeah. You know I, I was about to, I was about to save you and ask what your, what your, uh, your score was there. The reason it went down. See, I, I caught my train of thought. Mm. Goes off in one direction. We redirected back on the tracks. The reason it went down, though, is because the more and more they cut preseason games, the yeah. less people are able to be in there, the more people think that rookies are going to struggle. And I want to flash everybody back to 2011, where this storyline was rampant. Mm. Rampant. Oh, rookies are going to be hurt. It was a lockout, remember? Yeah. They're going to get the same time in training camp as Andy Dalton and the Cincinnati Bengals did in 2011, as Cam Newton and the Carolina Panthers did in 2011. I think they could be fine. It's about Joe Burrow and his preparation. They're going to have training camp, preseason games. Oh, he doesn't get to throw in the preseason. So maybe he's a little rusty going out there against the Chargers. But the experience he gets in week one against the Chargers, which the Bengals weren't favored in that game anyway, yeah. is the experience he would have gotten in an entire four-game preseason. So I, I think that maybe week one is a big factor. But people are saying that because they don't have OTAs, because they don't have four preseason games, that Joe Burrow is going to be ill-prepared to be an NFL quarterback. I find that absolutely insane. I think Joe Burrow is the most prepared to be a pro quarterback we have seen from a prospect since Andrew Luck. Yep. Since Andrew Luck. And I would wager it's more than Andrew Luck, but Andrew had more raw athletic ability. He didn't rely so much on timing and precision that I kind of – I'm. It, Joe might struggle. Joe might – the receivers might not get open – The timing might not be there. He might be a guy that manages the game, mix and runs for a lot of yards, low interceptions, clutch throws, good windows, but it's just not clicking, which could be great and could be an 8-8 team for sure. But I'm excited for this year. The Borough meter is down for me, national media three. Well, so my you have still at eight. My meter. You're, you're keeping yourself at an eight. Okay, so that's myself what I was at ask. an eight for sure. Your your, your barometer barometer. 
um, is still still in an eight. Um, I think I'm I'm still staying at a nine. I think it'll give. I mean, I, I didn't have any doubt that he would sign, so I, I was already looking forward to the the first game, um, with with no preseason games, with rookie wide receivers, and I I think it'll maybe take a game or two until he starts yeah. to look comfortable. I think he'll have flashes of great throw, fantastic, you know, getting out of the pocket, away from trouble. Like, we'll see the flashes of what he can be, but we'll also see that some of those mistakes of him, you know. It, it's yeah. it's going to be he's, – he's not going to be able to get those out in the preseason games. You have to expect those, and he, he should be able to still get those out in the first one, two, three games and – be fine the rest of the season he's not going to struggle for half the season or the entire season just because of this yeah I I think that it's going to be because listen at LSU in his junior season he didn't come until August yeah in college football he didn't come till August so I think looking at Joe Burrow's junior season is a very good indication barometer to how his season is going to well go. <laughs> I think it's going to be low turnover because the guy's always been low turnover. Like Colin Coward said something absolutely insane a few months ago. He was like, I think Burrow's going to be guy, more specific than that. He takes a couple risks. He's going to throw a lot of picks. He's like a Brett Favre. I'm like, dude, no, he's never done that. He, he's, he's never, never done, done that. that. So he's not going to all of a sudden just be like, oh, interceptions are good, right? And start throwing a shitload of them in the NFL. Yeah, no, no I think he'll throw probably like, 11, 12, 13. I think that's low for a rookie, but I'm sure he'll get to 10 because he's a rookie and there's going to be throws. You just don't think the DB would ever get there until you see them get there. And that's what the yeah. NFL is like. And I understand that. But, you know, I expect like a 20 ish touchdown, 23, 24 touchdown season, you know, near the old rookie record because of the modern NFL and the way Joe plays and Zach Taylor's offense, Andy Dalton had. So many passing yards. They're going to throw the ball. And Joe is yeah. better than Andy right now, that's for sure. Um, and it's going to be low turnover, hand the ball off to Mixon, manage the game, hope the defense got better, win some late, be better in clutch situations, be better in one-score games. That's what LSU was. LSU was a good 9-3. and three. They won the Fiesta Bowl. I think that's the type of season we're going to see. And then he's going to have an offseason with the receivers, a normal offseason. He's going to figure it out. And it's going to take off. Yep. That's what's happened every stop for Burrow, right? His first game, his first game at Athens High School, they lost to Gallia Academy, the Blue Devils, who were a Mm. solid team. But Gallia Academy had no business beating that Joe Burrow squad. But they were young. He was young. It was his first start. Lost that. And you know what happened, Matt? He didn't Mm. lose. He didn't ever lose a regular season game again at Athens High School. There you go. That was it. Never again did it happen. And I think that we're looking at something similar with that first year, same that we saw at LSU. He's a timing guy. He's a rhythm guy. He's going to be good. He's going to be like, all right, this was good. But I'm not sure it's going to be mind-blowingly great because I just don't think that's who he is. And no one should be expecting that. If that happens, awesome. But he might need a few of those punches in the mouth early yeah where he is making mistakes or the team is is not up to whatever his level of intensity and 
he we know that he is a player who can put the team on his back or he can throw seven touchdowns and then be pissed off about an interception he had early on like he he wants to be the best that he can be all around throughout the entire game will his team to win and if it takes a few of those games punches in the mouth with him making mistakes to help to secure his spot find his role in the team and what they need to do around him because we had talked about this before like building this team around Joe Burrow having the offense that supports him is going to be the best bet for this Bengals team to to succeed and make the playoffs and win a playoff game and look AJ Green is really the key here because we've seen a game manager Andy Dalton be awesome because he could just toss it up to AJ Green I will take game manager Joe Burrow over game manager Andy Dalton any day. There was one season, (laughs) two seasons in which Andy Dalton escaped that game manager, 2013. Although he threw a lot of picks that year, he was aggressive, 30-plus touchdowns, lots of yards, really distributed. Mo Sanu was there, right? Marvin Jones was catching a lot of passes. They won the division, 8-0 at home. That's when he escaped a little bit. And then he did it again in 2015. We all remember broken thumb, horrible, awful. Mm. But – Joe Burrow is much better than Andy Dalton ever was, ever, right now. Any, any honest look at film, unless it's like it would be amazingly shocking to me if Joe Burrow isn't better than Andy Dalton at his best. And I love Andy, but I think that's just the truth. And I'm I still think- rooting, for, I'm rooting for Andy Dalton in, in Dallas. I want him to take I know. that starting yeah, yeah, yeah. spot. I will never root against Andy Dalton. You can say what you want about Andy Dalton, and uh, he made this mistake that lost the game. He was never uh, an elite quarterback or great whatever. Man. I Great guy. Great guy. Flashes of greatness. Yeah, when I, I, want were, him to, I want him to win with the Cowboys. <laughs> I, you know, that was probably my most embarrassing day as a Cincinnati sport fan when he lost early in, I think, 2016. Yeah. He had something thrown at him. And I forget what was thrown at him, but fans were throwing stuff at him as he walked off the field. And I'm just, to me, I was like, guys, that's you just. don't live in Cleveland. Like This guy gave everything he had to this team. He wasn't yeah. very talented. It's amazing he did what he did. Amazing he did what he did. Amazing. He's a great guy. Like, yeah. I, why couldn't we just embrace him for what he was? But whatever. Joe Burrow. This is equally right, enough, enough Andy Dalton. <laughs> equally great of a guy, although much meaner, which in the right ways, like much more pissed off about winning. Because Andy would lose, and literally he was such a good guy. Three days later, he's like, Oh, it's all right, life's good. You and know? and you like you look at that and you go, Okay, Andy, you're such a great guy. I can't yeah, hate you. But guy. you want someone that gets that chip on their shoulder, that wants that revenge tour. And if you if you don't see your quarterback doing that, but you're at home just punching fucking walls, you're like, meet my intensity. Get out there and and yes. actually like you know do everything you can to win the game. Don't just be super nice about it. Well, and we've seen Joe Burrow comment on the Mamba mentality, and I think a big example of it was back in his high school days after the state championship, he threw two interceptions that season. In the state championship in which he broke the Ohio State record that stands today for yards in a game and threw six touchdowns, he threw one interception in a game that they lost after they scored 50-plus points. 
to Toledo Central Catholic. So mm. by any observer ever, I've watched the game twice, nobody ever would say Joe Burrow was to blame for that team losing that championship game. Right. They missed like four extra points. Like, it's just nobody would, be, would blame him. And I asked somebody that's been close to Joe Burrow, Hey, do you th- when do you think he stopped thinking about that interception he threw in the state championship game? Because he gave a very emotional answer in the postgame presser. And that person told me he still thinks about it. I guarantee you. Mm. I guarantee you. And that's the type of stuff that drives this kid. That's, that, that's the mentality that you need. Yes. To get to that next level, that win at all costs, push myself to the limit – Yes. Any mistake that is costing the team, even if it's it's one out of a hundred that you did a hundred things great and you do that one, the fact that he is still thinking about it means that he he will continue to push himself, try to get better, and and be able to take the Bengals to to new heights. Well, in in the Brady Six documentary, the, I've, I compared Joe Burrow to Tom Brady uh, before the draft, mm-hmm. not because of the way they play or anything like that. It's the mentality. It's the, you know, he's very close to his family, which is a very unique. Aaron Rodgers isn't very close to his family. Tom Brady is very close to his family. I mean, tight knit close. And Tom Brady in the Brady six documentary, which was after he had won three Super Bowls, this guy with three Super Bowls in the argument for the greatest quarterback of all time, sat on a television show, knew he was being interviewed and still cried about being passed over still was upset that they didn't start him in high school. Mm. Joe Burrow in high school, sophomore year, they didn't want him to be the quarterback. They wanted some kid who moved to California to be the quarterback. When he moved, they let him start, and the dude threw 49 touchdowns his first year as quarterback in high school, right? Yeah. In high school. That's the type of story. He's always been doubted. He's from Southeast Ohio. Nobody makes it from here. We don't have D1 players. It's a poor area. Nobody wanted him. Urban Meyer didn't want him. When Joe Burrow starts having success, Urban Meyer's going to try to take credit. Urban Meyer did not want Joe Burrow. And any look at the facts after he got recruited there shows that. Because I think Burrow was better than JT Barrett. I think Ohio State would have had two national championships if they let this kid play. But Urban thought he didn't have a good enough arm. Urban thought he was from Southeast Ohio and he played bad competition. And he literally gave the recruitment to Tom Herman because Tom Herman stood on the table and said, this is your next Alex Smith. Hmm. Urban never believed him. He let him transfer. And Joe is going to make every – and he loves Urban, respects him, but he's going to make everybody pay that's ever said that Joe Burrow isn't good Anyone enough. that's ever doubted him, yep. We got swole Joe this week. <laughs> Did you see oh that? Oh, my God. He's tanked, Matt. Tanked. <laughs> We hadn't we hadn't seen or heard from him. We didn't know what he was doing. He was getting fucking ripped. Well, I knew I had heard stories because for everybody that doesn't know, my background is I'm from Athens, as in I went to college there. I, I was uh, the morning show host on the radio station that broadcasted Joe Burrow's games. I know the guys that covered it. I know his next-door neighbors growing up. I know his youth football coach growing up. I've met his father, his mother, right? These guys love football. They're honest people. They never didn't want to go to Cincinnati. They aren't schemers. They're hard workers. 
They love their son, and his, their son loves football, and he's loved football since he was eight years old. And I've had people tell me he's the smartest player, smartest person, best leader they've ever met. And all he did, according to my sources and other people that have seen him in Athens, all he did during this pandemic was live with his parents, sit on his Nerf and Nike money. <laughs> I think he got a new car, too. There you go. Heard a rumor about a new car from the yeah. Nerf and Nike money. He could buy 20 new cars with this signing bonus. And all he did was ride his bike around Athens, which is one of the hilly cities you'll ever be in. Mm. So all I think he did was lift weights, throw footballs, ride bikes, watch film. And to me, that's yeah. a better offseason than any normal offseason because he, he is a linebacker. He looks yeah. massive. He looks huge. And then Madden. Madden for the new game, they they were showing all of the you know all the new players and how they look, and he's got this giant neck. He looks like you could put him in as a linebacker, and he would destroy someone. Exactly. I, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm thrilled. I'm glad he's in that type of shape. He he takes it so serious. I mean, he has a determination, and that's why he went to LSU because his transfer options were North Carolina because he mm. thought he could maybe do the Mitchell Trubisky path, right? Gatorade player of the year in Ohio, go to North Carolina, be pretty good, be a top five pick. He had Ohio University as a back burner option, wasn't really serious. He almost went to the University of Cincinnati, the American Athletic Conference. Go Bearcats. Because he knew Luke Fickle, right? Yep. And LSU was the last visit and the last option. And I remember covering that entire escapade. And I said, you know, if he picks LSU, it'll tell you a lot about Joe Burrow. Because if he picks LSU, he's not picking that to go pro. He yeah. is picking that because he wants to win a national championship. He thinks he's the best quarterback in the country, and he's going to go where he can have real success. And that's what he did, and then he proved he did. it. And that's the type of guy he is. He's not about yards or touchdowns. He just knows yards and touchdowns mean dubs. And he's out there to win games. He's the most competitive guy I've ever had the opportunity to cover. And I've covered guys who have been, who are currently in the minor leagues. I've covered guys who have made the NFL before. This guy is unnatural level of competitiveness. He is unnatural in most of his work ethic. He's unnatural in his smarts. He's unnatural in his ability to handle pressure. He's a different type of cat. And I am absolutely thrilled for this season. And that's the type of optimism we want. I, I think I was going to say, I think you, yeah. we have successfully there it is. Taken, <laughs> taken this from a negative downswing of, God damn it, the Reds got to fix it, to now Joe Burrow, savior of Cincinnati. I am, ah, yeah, I'm excited. Bengals think, season needs to start now. I think he is, though. Like, knock on wood, people, but if it's going to happen, it's now. It's, if it's going to yeah. happen, it's now. If this doesn't happen, if this doesn't work out, if the Reds completely blow it and the Bengals completely blow it and Burrow's a bust, Cincinnati sports fans. Well, don't even put that into the universe. You might as well hang it up, though. Like, seriously. At that point, it's like, all right, well, we are Cleveland. It's at the same level. We'll have to accept that horrific fate of being Cleveland. Because, hey, at least we're not Cleveland is what I've been saying for 22 we years. We had the optimism. We, we had it. What have you done? <laughs> what did you just do? You had to bring Cleveland into the shit now? <laughs> no, it is. We're still on win the whole damn thing with the Reds, and it's Burrow season coming up. There's our optimism.
optimism. We're gonna, we're gonna <laughs> do it. Go. We're gonna do it. But do you see these eyes? I'm I, freaking out. <laughs> I see them. I, I was watching the other episode and I kept pausing, and you were you were, and I'm like, oh, I didn't notice him doing that while we were talking, but now. <laughs> oh, you know it's fun though, Matt. Great pod. Another 3 a.m. Coney in the books. Yep. Cheers. Um, Reds, please win. Make me look like an idiot. That's all I'm asking. There you go. See you next time.